Hello there, and welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and today we're going to talk about attractiveness as an extension of holiness. But this is not going to be the conversation that you think it is. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. We're going to be talking about what biblical character you would want to be as if you took those holy and aspirational traits. So we're just going to have a fun time today. Thank you for joining me. Again, I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. All right. Before we open up in prayer, I'm going to throw y'all kind of the opening proposition for our program today. And then I'm going to be the one who opens up in prayer because I don't ever do that. Isn't that kind of weird? It's kind of weird. <laughs> so one of the things that I've noticed in our culture right now, we can clearly see that all around us, everything is more and more sensual. The way we interact online, very sensational. Headlines are designed to be sensational. Really, we've got to the point in our culture where we do actions, we design our lives, politicians do this, movies do this. They're designed in preparation for whatever outcome might happen. They're more interested in how people might react online mm. than really the quality of life that's going on there in the, the principle of things. Well, one of the things that's certainly happened is that we can see all sorts of evidence. You know, we can talk about how children's shows are increasingly sexualized, how markets online, you search for something once and then you get a hundred different ads <laughs> that are trying to target you on your core desires. But here's the thing, the spirit of the age, and when I say spirit, I'm meaning lowercase s, idolatrous spirit out there. The spirit of our age wants you to feel desired, but not actually be desirable. All the things that people encourage to do are very superficial, very shallow things, where it kind of hits the nail on your core desire, but you're not really an attractive person. And we want people in our modern culture to be really lustful, really seductive, but not ever really fulfilling, not rightly attractive and anything that would endure over time, where people just live lives where they're really impulsive, but not disciplined at all. And there's no enduring quality of life. And you can kind of describe that as instant gratification versus long-term consequences, but it really is deeper than that. I mean, it, it really is. And one of the things that is so hellish about this is that when people do live a life that's an unattractive life, they've made themselves unattractive, they don't really have those high aspirations, it demoralizes you. It basically builds a moat around your life where you're susceptible to depression, manipulation, and you often feel really angry towards things that are going well in other people's lives. You start to play the comparison games and I want to tear everything down. It's just so psychologically destructive. What do y'all think about that before we get, because that's going to be our, our undergirning premise for today. And I kind of want to lay this out there before we pray. So yeah. I want people to understand what I'm going to be praying <laughs> for. What do y'all think about that? Well, you're talking about like sensationalism. I, I think I just, this morning I was scrolling through the news um, and there was an article, and I don't remember really what the article was about, but I remember thinking the way they phrased the headline, it was kind of about a, a topic that's like you're either pro this or pro that. But the way they phrased the headline, I couldn't quite figure out which angle they were taking. Like there were so many, uh, like there was like a double negative, even maybe a triple negative. So I wasn't entirely sure if they were saying they were for this or against it. And and I think we that's what we're seeing a lot in our culture and what you're talking about with sensationalism, but also people wanting kind of some of the stuff, um, but not long-term and really the disciplines that actually get you there is because things do change in a second, in a millisecond, what people want and desire. They're, they're, we're trying to set ourselves up to be whatever is acceptable in the moment, realizing in 10 seconds, it's not going to be acceptable or something else will be acceptable even more so. And Really, I think what you're talking about also, it goes into this this core issue of identity and, and not just simply in this kind of, again, superficial sense. But if you don't know who you are, if you don't have a stable sense of self, it's really hard then to participate in a communal life and kind of vice versa. But if you don't know who you are and whose you are, then you are going to be swayed by every little thing that comes about or every big thing that comes about because there's nothing that's giving you a solid foundation. Um, and so it, it is, I think it's probably been an issue in our world since, you know, sin began or, uh, but we are seeing it on, I think, a much more rapid speed with, because we do have the technology and the resources to make that just that much more rapid. Yeah. And just building off what you said, if somebody's identity is fractured, kind of like what you, you're hitting on there, well, 
you know, we're naturally hardwired to be religious. We're naturally hardwired to be reasoning creatures who want to know who we are. Mm -hmm. So when you don't have that sorted out inside you, you start running around all out in the world like maybe I'll attach myself to this. Maybe I'll change the way, you know, drastically how I've organized my life. I'll attach to all these things when really the problem is going on inside your Mm -hmm. heart between you and God. And rather than ever addressing that, you really find this sinister moat of hell that comes along to keep people from doing that. And I know, Amanda, you bring up prevenient grace a lot, how we need to talk more about that. (laughs) And I want to throw something out there and let you respond to it. I've come to the point where I think hell has its own diabolical version of prevenient grace. Mm. So sort of like a prevenient deception where evil comes and prays in your heart so that when those moments open up where, say, a door opens in front of you to something good, You've had that preventative evil and deception in you where you cringe when you see the good. And rather than stepping into the real identity you should have, you just cringe at the light of God and you just retract back into a cave. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's basically the conversation we have with um, original sin versus what some are coining uh, original goodness or what we would call the imagio dei, the image of God. This, this This is, I think, the core of what we're saying. And although as... Uh, Wesleyan holiness, we definitely believe in original sin. I think we also have to say what what really is our core theology? Is it original sin or is it original goodness, the image of God? And yes, evil cannot create. It can only distort. So it takes the image of God. It distorts it and says, all right, so now instead of when you see, I, I don't know, something as simple as the sunrise or the sunset, and instead of seeing the fingers of God and how the creative order speaks uh, to the love of God. Instead, we see something we can try to manipulate or abuse or even draw away from and to distort even creation for our own purposes. And and so, yeah, I think that what you're saying is definitely true. And that's what we've seen after thousands of years of human history is that that light, even that fire that is to purify and cleanse us, we now see as only pain and agony um and in what it should be something that's inviting becomes something repelling yeah. because of that original sin uh and and yeah evil is deceptive in that like you said it, evil cannot create it can only distort and it does a very good job oftentimes of, of doing that you know something that's just really messed me up you talk about evil distorting so we all get on social media i scroll around on instagram and I've started following a lot of fine art pages, which have high art and really beautiful uh, sculptures, really beautiful paintings and stuff like that. And those works of art are not meant to be consumed through scrolling. Yeah. And like it messes up my brain because I'm used to getting on Instagram and flipping through all the stuff, which are largely unattractive. Even some of the most popular memes are actually kind of ugly. They're not put together very aesthetically appealing. They're just ugly stuff. And then when you start adding in fine art with there, it's like your brain's like, whoa, this is actually a, a beautiful image here. And then that stuff over there is kind of garbage. <laughs> Pastor Mike? Well, I think we have to start with the premise that perfect love, perfect justice, um, you know, perfect, um, you know, beauty, these things come from God. And so the, the sunset, the sunrise, uh, just nature in itself has a, a tremendous amount of beauty. When we fail to acknowledge this premise of perfect love, perfect justice, perfect beauty coming from God, then we end up being sensationalized and trying to fill that void, and we cannot feel it, fill it rather, with something uh, else. The world is not going to feel that, and so it ends up being something that uh, eventually turns into being less than that perfectness, but that sensationalism and that desire to feel that becomes often, you know, things of drama, things that are that are not beautiful at all. But at the end of the day, I think if we we will focus on where the perfectness of beauty comes from, from God, then we can learn to appreciate not only the beauty of God, but as we are created in the image of God, to to reflect some of this beauty back out into the world, Mm -hmm. um, uh, whether it be in, in any form of art. You know, kind of building off that, the more we get sensational, and the more everything even gets like sexualized, the the uglier it all gets. And I think a great example of that is if you go somewhere like Gatlinburg, Tennessee, where you're surrounded by the mountains, you're surrounded by truly objective and immaculate beauty. 
But yet a lot of people spend their time down there on that strip, which is all a bunch of structures made out of concrete, brick and mortar, that sort of thing. And they're all extremely ugly compared to the natural beauty of the mountains. But yet the more sensational it gets, the uglier it gets. Mm. It's, it's really interesting. The more you start giving into those natural desires, the more things become undesirable. Mm. And there's sort of a weird phenomena that happens there. And it happens in so many ways. Pastor Mike? You said more, un, you know, it's uh, undesirable. But I, I think there's this uh, whole understanding that it's unfulfilling as well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so you continue to, sense, you know, try to find more for the sensation and more and more. And it just escalates to the point where you see some of the tremendously bizarre um, <laughs> structures as well. But, uh, no, I think I think the beauty of God is just all around us if we'll just stay focused and, and, and look for that. Let's open in prayer, shall we? Gracious Heavenly Father, as we have come together for this time of online discussion, Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds that we would be people of revelation, that we would be men and women who are discerning in the world around us. Lord, I pray that we would be attractive people who build up lives that are disciplined, that are investing in things of high quality, that you who are holy and excellent, you would shine your light so that we, in all that we do, we may reflect that in ways which are honorable and dignified before you. Lord, bless us. Let us be spiritually mature. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So, and Pastor Mike had your, your hat off over there. Speaking of things which are attractive, um, if we're just going to be wearing like hats, I'm just going to roll in here in like a suit of armor. <laughs> like, let, let's, let's, get this, let's get this party going, yeah. Like, I'm all right <laughs> with that. Um, but Pastor Mike made that hat too, which is really cool. Yeah. Yes. Really cool. Okay. So let's get to our program, shall we? All right. Since we've talked about how there, there's a serious problem of people being encouraged to be undesirable. Well, we in the church, we need to do something about that. We need to actually talk about things that are desirable. So what we're going to do, and we've been planning on having this conversation for several <laughs> weeks and it keeps getting put off. We're going to have it now. We're going to each pick out a biblical character that we would like to, to be. But here's the thing. What biblical trait would you want to be known for? You know, there's a lot of different things that people do throughout Scripture. Hopefully nobody is picking Ananias and Sapphira <laughs> from Acts chapter 5 or something like that. There's Because, you know, they, they get smoked for lying. They come in and they lie and they get, you know, dropped dead from Peter. Hopefully nobody wants to be that. Um, and if you do want to be that, stay with us. And hopefully by the end of this, you'll be encouraged enough that you'll Turn your life over to Christ Jesus and not be in that nihilistic worldview. But my question for Amanda and for Dad, and I'm going to answer this too, is what attractive biblical trait would you want to be known for? But we won't be choosing the traits like a buffet. So you can't be like, I want to be strong like Samson, wise like Solomon. Mm. Um, you got to take a character as a whole in order to embody that trait. And I want us to take this pretty seriously because imagine if you you had died and they wrote your tombstone and they've got the epitaph all filled out with the details of your life what do you want to be known for if you could embody any biblical trait hmm. so i don't know who wants to go first on this usually i go to amanda first but i think all eyes are over there for pastor mike so we may let him roll with it uh, well you know i'm totally blessed i pastor a congregation who is is a extremely talented group of lay people and uh i you know even though I'm called and I'm clergy, I still have this great appreciation of just being a lay person. And, uh, you know, for me, I would go to Exodus uh, and look at Bezael. I think I'm pronouncing his right uh, name correctly. I'm, but uh, Bezael, you know, he is the one called of God that is a craftsman, a tradesman, that puts together all of the, uh, you know, articles for the tabernacle. And uh, I just think that is a tremendous joy to be able to work with something sacred like that. And and I know, I guess I'm probably a little weird, but I have a, a huge appreciation um, for those talents and gifts of, of uh, creating. And just to give a, a touch on that, you're talking about Exodus 35. Yeah. And we, we get... Moses going to the Israelites saying, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. 
And he has been filled with the Spirit of God and wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kind of skills. Again, these are attractive things that he has. Mm. He's smart. He has understanding. And presumably he can communicate these things well. <laughs> he's got knowledge. And he has all kinds of skills. Like, this is an attractive dude. And then it goes on to say, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. Again, not only he's does he have a great resume of being, you know, a high, highly qualified dude, but he's making some attractive stuff, too. Like the products of his life are pretty attractive. Like this is this is not a bad choice for this topic. I mean, you, yeah, I don't yeah. know. How, I don't know if you had prepared this. I did not. But, you know, also there's this whole name uh, that he has that really means under the shadows of God. So he's mm -hmm. under the watch and care of God, and he works with others. He's not some sole craftsman, but he has, uh, what is it, holy, uh, uh, Holyab? Is that his name? I can't, it's hard to pronounce some of these Old Testament names. But, yeah, he's got other people working with him, other craftsmen. And and it's it's amazing how the, the congregation, uh, the, the Israelites, they bring all of these uh, things in whether it be jewels, medals, um, you know, and and he and and he just is he just puts it all together. And you know, it's interesting that when Moses uh, has this vision, he doesn't really know what to do with it, and God give him the wisdom when Moses explains it to him, and he he puts it together, and he's like, yeah, I see. And so you know, I I I, ha I do I have the privilege of uh, uh, shepherding a group of people that are extremely talented. And it's just a great beauty to see them using those gifts and talents mm -hmm. for the work of God. All right. Mm -hmm. So Bezalel's name sounds like the name of a demon, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not Beelzebub. <laughs> I just, just for clarity. Nor is it Baal. Nor right. is it Baal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nor any other demon that might be out there. Bezalel is not a demon. And he works with Holyab. And he, Yes. Which has a slightly better sounding And I, and I think, name. you know, some of them have that with an A or O, you know, I don't know how, but I think that's silent, so it's Holyab. But, you know, Holyab is much easier to pronounce than Bezael. Yeah, Bezael. Well, and, and I think what's kind of pretty also in the, or I guess, I don't know, pretty might not be the right word. What's beautiful about this story, too, is, is all of us kind of heard that name and thought, ooh, that sounds like a demon or something bad. And there's a lot of things in our world that wants to point and say that's a bad thing, right? This is this is idolatry at its high, at highest. What is good, it calls bad. What is bad, it calls good. The world does. And so something we were like, oh, that sounds like a bad name. He ends up being instrumental in creating the tabernacle, the place in which God's presence will reside and communicate to the people. So, I mean, there's just... There's beauty in that. I think well, that, yeah, that, that inspires kinda, us. Yeah, that yeah. ties back into our earlier conversation where... This provenient moat has been put in our life where you hear Bezalel and you're like, oh, that dude's totally a demon. <laughs> like I saw him over there with like horns rising out of his head. But no, no, actually he's building the temple of God. Yeah. And, and the know, Ark of the Covenant and all of those things. And so all of these things point to the presence of God, that God is with his people. And for us today, you know, as Christians, we know that the Spirit of God lives in us. It tabernacles in our bodies. And so, you know, we, we should be people that, that appreciate the beauty of God and, um, you know, uh, be appropriate in, in all, all things. Mm. And, and this is where you wonder, what are the effects of having something like, or someone like Bezalel and Holyab around you? Well, as you look there in Exodus 35, picking up in verse 34, it says they had the ability to teach others. Mm. And he filled them with the skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with fine linen, weavers, and all of them skilled workers and designers. So they're people who make attractive things. Mm -hmm. Again, purple, blue, these are colors which are really rare, the ancient world, um, doing engraving work. That's not easy with modern tools. You know, it, there's an art to that. Certainly not easy um, in the ancient world, though people had a little bit more patience then, hopefully. I don't know. We <laughs> kind of had to. <laughs> I haven't been alive for thousands of years, so I don't know. Well, um, we do have ancients, ancient, uh, you know, archaeological things, and we see some very beautiful work yes, there. absolutely. And, you know, although it's probably, you know, not necessarily Jewish or Christian related, but look at some of the beauty coming out of Egypt and some of the art there. I mean, I yeah. think it's part of, you know, how God designed us and created us is to be able to be uh, artistic. See, kind of building off uh, building off of Bezalel a little bit, there's always this idea we have in our, our culture that 
people who, again, when they're not right between themselves and God, they, they want to change that. You often find young people when they get in relationships, they're, they're oftentimes all broken. And, and that's increasingly so in a culture that doesn't even have any sort of hinge connection to, say, the Ten Commandments or the biblical worldview. I mean, there's just brokenness heaped upon brokenness and brokenness that is loved for the sake of brokenness. But one of the things that you get is this kind of false belief that we'll come together and through our own power change one another, when in fact that's not true. Um, you can't fundamentally change people. God alone has the power to do that. But... One of the things that God does challenge his creatures to do is he challenges each of us to make one another the best version of ourselves. And I know I sound like I'm saying a lot of things which are the same idea but spoken differently, but what I'm saying is God alone makes the good. God alone has the power to transform. Now, when we are our brother's keeper, to use some more biblical language, what we are encouraged to do is build one another up to be the best version of themselves Mm. rather than just wallow in whatever brokenness or dark valley we find in life. And here you find Bezalel and Holiab, they are taking people and giving them fine skills. So they're the best version of themselves. And this is obviously making beautiful things for God, but you know that's going to have an impact on how they do other things in life. Like again, I 3D print stuff and I do that, make to order for people, but it also changes everything around me. Like I don't own hardly anything that doesn't have some sort of 3D printed part around it. I mean, even the microphones we have right now are are 3D printed and put together and stuff like that. The 3D printed stuff is everywhere because once you start doing that for work, it goes home. When people have those high skills at work, it's going to bleed over into other aspects of life and it makes people, it encourages people to reflect being made in the image of God, kind of going back to that whole Imago Day thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think also if you look at, in contrast, you see uh, at times, especially when we get the New Testament, the the idols that are created by tradesmen and and different different ones, and how that is in conflict. And so, you know, this whole understanding that we we don't have an image or an idol, uh, so to speak, or you know, a, a little statue. We are the living, breathing image of God, uh, called to walk this face of the earth that proclaim that God is king of all creation. And so, you you see, you, you know, this beauty of fellowship happening as they work people bringing things in people you know building creating um, reflecting a beauty not as a sense of idol but as a sense of saying god is with us and to me that that is something that is theologically um, throughout our entire scripture that we we understand that god journeys with us and through all of life through the mountains the valleys wherever we go, that God tabernacles with us and in us. Let us not lose focus and get like some of these, you know, idolaters who are creating images. And and I'll be honest, I love the church and the beauty of the church. And oh my, if you go back to some of the, you know, the, the medieval churches, you see tremendous architectural structures. And we need to, to appreciate that for what it is. I, I feel mm. like we've almost lost that oh, sure. that sense uh, in a lot of places. Yeah, and somebody posted online a couple of weeks ago this, it was a quote from the general superintendent. I don't remember know which general superintendent it was, but back in 2013 or something said, when did we forget as the Church of the Nazarene how to declare God's victory? Mm. When did we become to sc- become scared to you know, go out and exalt and extol God's victory. Well, we've forgotten how to appreciate beauty. We've forgotten how to call out sin. We've forgotten how to call out evil. And that does leave you in a place where we're, we're kind of fine being surrounded by ugly things and doing ugly things and being ugly people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really sad. It, it takes you to the point where you're happier walking up and down the concrete strip in the middle of the mountains than actually going over there and standing on the cusp of one of those great rocks and looking at the beautiful colors of God's creation. And and we've got to get back to, to appreciating things that are rightly attractive rather than things that are just sensational. Mm. So Pastor Amanda, well, hopefully 
we're gonna we're hopefully gonna get into some more dramatic characters. Bezalel <laughs> doesn't seem too dramatic. We need some some drama going on here. Okay. I don't I don't know if you're gonna pick someone dramatic okay. or not. We'll see. I've got some dramatic people picked okay. out. So so we're gonna get there. <laughs> and I just feel like you know Bezalel had to have some drama in him because he's related to Miriam, which makes him related to Moses. But it, you know his great great grandfather is uh, Caleb. And so, you know, you, you see him coming from a place where there's some pretty exciting characters. Um, in fact, uh, leading into Pastor Amanda, uh, uh, Papa, her papa is an amazing character. Always, I, <laughs> I often say when I, when I uh, mature, I want to be like her papa, but that's probably bad theologically. I need to be more Christ-like, which Papa is Christ-like, but man, has he got the stories. All right. Well, see, we can't bring up Papa without at least telling some of Pap's. T- tell us some reasons. Why do we want to be like Papa? Amanda, <laughs> what are some reasons we want to be like your Papa? Oh, um, well, a lot of his stories involve things we shouldn't be doing. Um, growing up, there were lots of stories and, and tales that we were told not to repeat. So I don't want to be put on the spot and call him out. But I think ultimately, although Papel often chose the overdramatic reaction, he, he chose a reaction in which uh, love and joy were the were the expressions or what he was trying to convey. Not not always. Um, I was saying earlier, uh, we, we've had some people in some accidents near my house recently, quite a few. And I was kind of in my anger. I said, all right, I'm going to do like Papel did and just put out my own um, spike strip because I'm just getting aggravated with these people. That's not what we're supposed to do. But there is a heart that says we want people safe. We want people um, taken care of and to be careful, especially in neighborhoods where kids are running around. But, um, yes, Papel often had a more – if anything could be done on a scale of 1 to 10, Papel would always pick 11. Uh, but his heart was love uh, in those now, things. And, and he is a man of action. Yes. He's a man of action, and he's also a man that doesn't really show fear. I don't care what the job is. He's ready to tackle it. And I don't really know him. I only know the stories, but I can gather that from him. Now, yes. again, from the stories. for anyone in the audience who may not know your papa, which I've, I've never met him, now you, you have a lot of Nazarene preachers in your family, mm-hmm. and and one who was shot. Yes, that would be my papal's father. Well, he wasn't Nazarene. He actually was, uh, he started his own denomination, uh, but it was in the Holiness Wesleyan tradition. Um, and uh, papal's father, uh, my great-grandfather, was very instrumental during the Great Depression and uh, the um, Prohibition. Prohibition era. And he actually opened up uh, for Billy Sunday, who was a famous uh, minister and, and led these uh, large uh, services, uh, they would have a preacher that would preach, kind of like when you go to a concert, there's usually an opening act before the main band. They even did that uh, with preachers, and so uh, my great-grandfather was an opening act for Billy Sunday. Not as quite as popular as uh, uh, Billy Graham, but, but think kind of very similar uh, kind of idea. But anyways, he w- he was shot uh, leaving or getting to one of those services, and the Bible stopped, or the bullet stopped in his Bible uh, right at the Romans passage that says... Uh, uh, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed uh, through the renewing of your mind. Papal kind of followed in that footstep, not so much uh, in being a preacher. My papal never was a, a, a preacher, but he was a minister and ministered during the race riots in the 60s uh, to people uh, and bringing peace and comfort even in the midst of uh, shootouts and, and fire bombings. Well, and you know what's so interesting is now there's more to that story because he ended up preaching that man's funeral as the story oh, yeah. keeps going. Yeah, yes. her great grandfather. So yeah, it's like um, even grace comes in and and uh, you know and again that reflects perfect beauty, perfect truth, perfect. You know, it, the kingdom is breaking in mm-hmm. a, in a powerful way. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, yeah. again, you, <laughs> spiritual warfare is always with this. Like, mm-hmm. I, th- I think one of the biggest canards we've bought into in the church is this idea that, like, spiritual warfare is like this fringe thing. Like, it's not really around us, you know, like, oh, somebody, they've got a story over there. Do you hear their, like, spiritual warfare story? Like, no, no, folks, it's everywhere. Yeah. All the time, everywhere. You go back there, and I mean, imagine our world now. Like, people want to get out of church on Sunday. Back then, you have, like, the preacher, and then the preacher who precedes the preacher. Like, people are into it. But also, people are mad enough about it yes. that they're going to shoot somebody over it. Like, that no. still happens now. It's called the invocation. And so, if you haven't noticed, when people get called for the for the prayer, they're preaching. Yeah. They're, they're preaching in that prayer. Oh, yeah. You get shot. 
as the opening preacher and then ultimately end up preaching that man's funeral. Like the beauty in that. Mm-hmm. Um, by your words, you be justified. By your words, you be condemned. <laughs> and just for uh, for clarification, he did not retaliate and kill the man. No, well, he, fun- I, I, yeah, no, that wasn't that <laughs> happened years later. But he even, I, I believe, if I remember the story correctly, my great grandfather he knew who shot him, but he he wouldn't. Um, uh, I, I do think the man was arrested because there were other witnesses. But my great grandfather took that as an opportunity to minister versus um, condemning, and and so yeah. Lot, there's there's your drama. Real spiritual maturity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Get Amanda. back to our Bible stories. Yeah. Back to our Bible studies. Mm-hmm. Who would you like to be? All right. Well, I kind of picked two, but they're they're in the same kind of narrative flow, although they're several chapters apart. But in Acts, um, I know you used earlier the example we shouldn't be Ananias and Sapphira. So my first one is Ananias, but not that Ananias. <laughs> This is a uh, Ananias of Damascus th- uh, that we find in um, Acts nine, and uh, I'm not going to read the the scripture, but we kind of we know it as part of the Paul's or Saul's conversion into Paul or Saul's really kind of repentance, him turning uh, towards God, um, or giving up a former thought of who he thought God was, and instead receiving uh, God as who God is. And uh, in the midst of that story, there's this interesting character named Ananias who is just one day in his house doing whatever he does. And God speaks to him and says, now go. And uh, Saul is at this guy's house. He's he's blind. I have chosen him to be my instrument of peace, uh, to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And I love Ananias's response, which is basically, God, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> which is a phenomenal response to give to God. Uh, God, do you know what's going on? And God says, no, I have called you to go and to heal him. And so Ananias does and heals Saul and Saul uh, recoups his strength and, and, and is able then to, well, the rest of the story of Acts to be this wonderful instrument of God uh, throughout the known Roman empire, the known world at that time. And, uh, we don't really hear anything else about Ananias and the rest of, of, of the story of Acts. And really Christian tradition kind of just leaves him there. Uh, he might be mentioned in passing in some stories that have to do with various missionary tales. But really uh, in the kind of the broader uh, church history and tradition, not really in our scriptures. And the, the second character I picked, and then I'll kind of tie them together, is Lydia, who also happens later on in the story of Acts. So at this point, Paul has done his missionary, or is doing his missionary journeys. He's traveling. He hears this call to go. Uh, he has receives the, the vision of the man from Macedonia, says go in you know, this area that hasn't been reached yet. And what he finds where he goes to this area where he's not sure the gospel's ever been proclaimed, he finds a prayer service already happening down by the river, and this lady named Lydia is leading it. And um, she's uh, also kind of a craftsman like Mike's, a character that he picked and she uses her her skills and her time and her resources in order to lead this this service of prayer and and through that again they call it Lydia's conversion which is kind of interesting she already was leading a prayer service but she gets I guess the more I don't know if fuller revelations even the right language but she understands more about who God is and who God is calling her to be and she follows and in the midst of that story as well, Paul and Silas are thrown into jail after saving a, a woman, or really a girl, uh, possessed by demons. And she's the one that, after the, the earthquake and the, the conversion of the jailer and the jailer's family, uh, Lydia's the one that then takes Paul and Silas back into her home and helps them out. And I think, in, and then she fades into the background. She's really not mentioned anywhere in Acts um, other than that short snippet. And I think some of her household is alluded to in one of Paul's epistles, but really she's not kind of in the forefront of, of this grand narrative of the early church. And what I like about both of these characters is they were faithful. They did what they were supposed to do. They popped in, they popped out. And they they didn't need to be another Paul. Uh, they didn't need to be another Peter or uh, Mary Magdalene. And not that there's anything wrong with those people, but they simply did what they were called to do. And, and that was that was it. And, and I think there's something, as much as there are moments where I'm like, I think it's a natural need for all of us. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. That is a, a very good and right uh, attitude sometimes to have and, and wanting to feel loved and belonged. Um, but these people didn't, they didn't make that their idol. 
They didn't have to be seen. They didn't have to be heard in all things. They simply did what God had called them to do. And that, w- that was it. And so I, I think the characteristic of quiet faithfulness is something I need to work on in my own life. Um, but I, I aspire to. Okay. You, know, Mike. you know, I think uh, to make that whole story go full circle, you know, Ananias was called to go and lay hands on, on Saul or as as we often call him Paul, but, you know, the very man that was on his way to have them arrested mm-hmm. and possibly killed. But that makes a nice connection back to your great-grandfather who had a man try to kill him, and yet he, 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 he felt the call to minister and show the grace of God, um, which, you know, that wasn't planned either. <laughs> we didn't have that in the, uh, the pre uh uh, episode conversation but yeah that that does make a a nice part of your yeah. heritage your history that ties really back to the biblical story well and that's like hearing the stories of my great grandpa growing up it, there, there's a part of you that does go oh wouldn't that be so cool if i had a story like great grandpa where i get shot and then like as you get older you're like wait this is not like this is not what I actually want in my life. I don't want to be shot, um, and 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 that's the thing. Sometimes with these grand narratives, there also comes grand uh, consequences, and it is it is I think sometimes a beautiful reminder. As much as our world wants the sensational, right? We want the big headlines. There's all these stories of people who are just faithful, and yeah. Uh, great grandpa probably didn't make the news on that shooting or he may have in his local time he wasn't as popular as Billy Sunday and some of these other evangelists but he still was faithful and I think for Lydia and Ananias I mean poor Ananias when I say that name most of y'all probably think of Ananias and Sapphira or you may think of the the high priest Ananias who was the one in charge of um, uh, getting at Paul later in the story of Acts but you probably in the long list of church history we probably forget the Ananias who was faithful out of all of them um we're the only one that seemed to be faithful out of any of them but and even Lydia we're like oh yeah she was the dealer in purple led a prayer meeting and she gets all of like 10 verses dedicated to her but she becomes this grand archetype for faithfulness even though we know so little about about her and 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 I think um that that's something that that can be inspirational and just knowing that simply doing good and yes, we need some of those people that are the headliners and uh, have the sensational stories. But also we need the people who are just going to kind of continue and may only be known to uh, a few people. And actually there's part of a prayer in the book of uh, the common book of prayer that says to Lord, the ones who are known only unto you. Like there are some people who are faithful Christians that no one knows about. Um, and, and that we we pray that we are counted amongst even them. Well, you know, you can look at Lydia, and she's from Thyatira, which is later mentioned in Revelation when Jesus comes out with his letter to the seven churches. And we're not entirely sure how instrumental she may or may not have been in all that. But nonetheless, it's a, it's a pretty impressive thing that, that you see Paul come and sit with somebody, and he kind of sets aside his whole missionary journey just to kind of tend to her. And she's this God-fearer who comes along to know Jesus. And really good things come out of that. So that, that's a great choice. Um, Ananias does some good things, too. You can effectively see that imagery of ordination as he lays hands on Paul. Mm-hmm. And that happens there in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, where it says, And then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may... See again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, also, his ordination service is very short. <laughs> if um, only we could learn from that. No. <laughs> if only we could learn from that. Um, very short. Very to the me- very meaningful though. Mm-hmm. Very meaningful. If you're blind and got scales on your eyes, that that's a very meaningful <laughs> short service. So, and also there's a lot of repentance there. It's, it's just a very meaningful interaction. So mm-hmm. that's good. That's good. Well. I guess I'll roll into who I want to be. Yes. Yeah, you, you have to follow that. I have to follow that. Oh, oh, I'm ready to follow that. <laughs> you see, in truth, in truth, I mean, completely honest with everybody here, I'm turned up. 
I'm over here ready uh, for St. Michael. You know, in Revelation 12, verse 7, it says, Then war broke out in heaven, and Michael, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, the ancient dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But they were not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent that is called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, he and his angels with him. See, I want to be St. Michael. But St. Michael is an angel. He's an archangel. So therefore, I think just by the rules of this conversation, he's disqualified. I am, <laughs> I'm a human. I am not an archangel. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, it's not like any of us could be any of these other characters. Oh, yeah. but I, I think we could. Mike, Pastor I, Mike. I was, I was under, under the impression that we couldn't be an angel or you couldn't pick Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, okay. so it's not my full choice. <laughs> okay. Right. Right, let's just full disclaimer. They just needed a mention, an honorable mention. Yeah. An honorable mention indeed. And, and talk Very about honorable. honorable. <laughs> Very honorable. Yeah. And here's where I throw out my, my pitch for my, my new book that's coming out, Midheaven. The Fragment of the Fallen Word. You can find the audiobook on CastBox for free. Right now I'm, I'm working on getting everything published. It is finished. The tail end of the audiobook, so the last 12 chapters, will be published here over the weekend. So this time next week it will be there for you to listen to the whole book. Um, and it's largely commentary on this, um, where the, the warriors, the Chapel of St. Michael's, stand against the beast. It's a very fantasy-oriented novel, but nonetheless biblical. So there you have that. But as far as what character I would like to be, you know, I look through the great repertoire of Scripture. I look at the great sea of faces that have made up the people of God. And I see some things like Nehemiah, and I'm like, oh, yeah, time to clean some house, time to take off the belt. I'm, I'm feeling it. But also, you got to be careful with stuff like that because Nehemiah is very close to kind of a mentality that's just kill them all. Like, it's mm -hmm. very severe. Like, it's very serious. Um he, he's ripping out beards there in chapter 13 saying, remember me, oh my God, for the good that I have done for you while he's cleaning house. It, it's got to be done. It's necessary. And it's part of scripture for a reason. And I look at that and I'm thinking, you know, that looks really good. I'm looking there at Samson, who in Judges chapter 15, you get some great stuff there too. He goes to visit his wife and his father-in-law has given his wife away. And his retaliation to this is, you know, let's light some foxes on fire. Which I don't know how you catch foxes and get them to comply with being lit on fire. You know, that, that in and of itself is a marvel. Um, then he goes and gets the donkey's jawbone and, you know, slays a thousand of them. And then ultimately crumbles the, the temple there of the fish demon Dagon and just crushes them all. I mean, some good stuff going on there, Samson. I'm, I'm seeing you over there. I'm liking what you're putting down. But then I also see some other things. Because so I remember that mercy triumphs over judgment. And I find myself looking somewhere like with Stephen mm -hmm. in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen, he kind of has a shining moment right there at the end of his life. And when I, when I say shining, I mean literally he sees heaven open. He says in Acts 7 verse 56, he said, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Like a beautiful revelation, a beautiful statement. And the Sanhedrin, the people who are supposed to be the professionals, the academics, the ones mm. who are so mature, they covered their ears and yelled like toddlers at the top of their voices. And they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. So you find out who's really mature there. Yeah, mm. It's not the people who told you they were mature. But then Stephen, in his shining moment, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again, mimicking the very love, the forgiveness of Christ there to the very end. Stephen has a shining moment, very effective ministry there. It's very brief, though. Yeah. It's very brief in the course of Acts. But even that is not my choice. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But, but you have to wonder, because Saul was there watching. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you have to wonder what this testimony really had a play uh, in, in Paul's you know, revelation on the way there, that his heart was, you know, he, he there had to be some questions. How can this be taking place? You know, why is someone so faithful? So, I, you know, I, I give it, uh, you know, I think it's a very powerful moment, not only for Saul, but for those who are watching. Hmm. Oh, yeah. No, it certainly is. Powerful testimony. But here we get to who I truly choose. You know, we can look at Dad's choice there with 
Bezalel. I almost called him Beelzebub. No. <laughs> Bezalel. Bezalel. You know, the effects of having him around and having people like him around is other people become skilled. Things get made beautiful. Honor is given to God as it should. You know, we in the Church of the Nazarene, we talk about meaningful worship. They got some meaningful worship with Bezalel. Mm-hmm. Amanda brings up Ananias. You get laying of hands on Paul. You get some beautiful things happening there. You look at Lydia. You know, we don't know how instrumental she is in the growth of the church there in Thyatira, but, you know, she's from Thyatira, and the timeline matches to say that, you know, she's instrumental in all that. Who knows? She's obviously significant enough to be included in the, the book of Acts for a reason. There's good things going on there. And you can look at the effects of having someone like her around. You know, it's good. The church grows. But who I choose is from the Old Testament, going all the way back to the book of Judges. And all the many dramatic stories we get there. I am going to Judges 3 to pick Ehud. Now, you may wonder, who is Ehud? That's not a pretty name. You know, that that one doesn't roll (laughs) off the tongue real well. Well, Ehud, he comes in a time where the people of God, doing as they do, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as Judges chapter 3, verse 12 says. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of the Moab, power over Israel. So basically what happens in Ehud's lifetime is they're given over to an evil king because they did evil. Mm-hmm. They sown evil, and now they have reaped evil. They've been handed over. I love the language that they've been given over. In other words, you did evil, well, now the evil's going to come swoop you up and take you. Well, Ehud's life is he comes, and he pretends that he's going to give a tribute to this, this evil king, Eglon. And after they've been under his tyranny for 18 years, because that's what's happened, they've been subject to the tyranny of Eglon, king of the Moab, for 18 years. And I'll just read the scripture so you'll find out what happens. In verse 15, it says, And the Israelites cried out, cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. So Ehud, he's a deliverer. And it says, Ehud, a left-handed man, a son of the Gera, a son of Gera, the Benjaminite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of the Moab. And now Ehud made a double-edged sword that was a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of the Moab, who was a very fat man. And after Ehud presented the tribute, he sent away those who had carried it. But reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. And the king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king arose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. So what we see here is he's gone and he's slain the evil king. That is pretty good. But you, you wonder, what is the consequences of this? So Ehud, he runs out. He escapes. He flees. He goes and gets a trumpet, and he blows it there in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites go down from the hills with Ehud leading them. And picking up in verse 28, we find him lead his people to peace, prosperity, and liberty. And he says, follow me, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab, and they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong, and not one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. Mm. Now, 80 years is a long time. That's a full generation. Some people might count that as several generations. Ehud, under the conviction and motivation of God, wins peace for his people for 80 years. He personally is willing to put his life on the line for battle. He goes out. He does it. It's not pretty. It's not clean. Um, It's not clean. Let's be be honest here. But he, he earns the reward of peace. Peace is something which is a reward to be earned. I love the language of peacemakers you get in the Beatitudes. Again, you don't just wish peace into existence. You don't just, you know, conjure it like some sort of peace sorcerer. It's got to be earned. Well, 
the story of Judges 3 begins in verse 12, where the people of God earned judgment, they earned condemnation. But then Ehud, in contrast to that, he comes and earns peace for them. And that's it's a beautiful thing. And that's, that's who I pick. <laughs> Y'all can riff on that, make fun of me, um, elevate it. Do whatever you like. You know, I think it makes for a good action movie, too, you know, <laughs> if, if you were to put that in. But it is. It is a very uh, drama, uh, dramatic event that took place. But sometimes you've got to, you know, hear the voice of God, understand that evil and oppression has to be exercised. Unfortunately, it had to be exercised at the cost of uh, uh, Eglon's you know, death, the king, but it, it was a brutal king. And, and you know, uh, peace is not, it, it's like you said, it has to be earned. Hmm. Well, I mean, and isn't that a popular saying? I'm trying to remember who said it, but uh, evil triumphs when good men do nothing. Yes. Yeah. This, this is, this is, I think the, the story, um, well, I mean, I, we, again, we have to be careful, as you said earlier, when you were sharing some other stories like Samson's, uh, as much as they teach us some good things, they also show us what not to do. Um, and, and, and so we there is a, a, a bit of wisdom that needs to be enacted in these stories as we then apply them to our, our, our lives and our current circumstances. But I do think there is the good news in this that calls people to action, right? Because this, this is the story of, of Jesus. Jesus had everything. God had everything God needed. God, God was all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything, you know, all everything, omni. And yet God decides not to leave creation to creation's devices to not get what we deserve or what we earned. We earn judgment. We earn brokenness and and just the mess that our world is. Um, Even if we didn't do something directly to cause it, we are participating in in systems and structures and and a world that is always leaning towards chaos and, and darkness. And for some reason, God decides to act and move and to change the trajectory of the world, um, to call us instead of earning the destruction to earn peace and love and, and life and life abundant. And uh, again, not earn it in our own power. We've got to be careful of that language too, I guess, but <laughs> to be peacemakers, to, uh, to comfort those who are mourning, to bring about the kingdom of God through our daily living and to act it in to enact it in our world and yes uh ehud ehud however we pronounce his name um also i i don't know how these stories come about why the details i mean in the sense of somebody felt like somewhere in the oral tradition felt it was very important to include in the story that the fat covered the sword i don't know what prompted that detail that had had to be included but somebody along the line said, yes, this is how we're going to convey the grace of God. That the biggest monster we can think of, the one that swallows a sword whole, even they can be defeated. Well, you see, that's not the detail that I, I think would be left out. Like, there's a grosser <laughs> detail than that in the story that we have oh, yes. failed to eliminate. But we'll leave that be. We'll leave that be. Um, so much that they that they are, you know, they... They think he's uh, in the restroom. In the restroom, rather than than uh, you know being Decayed. killed in there. So they they this can stand outside for a long time, which gives Ahud plenty of time to escape, so to speak. So this this is full of spies, full of all kinds of uh, discussion. But most of all, I think here is this longing for the kingdom of God and for us to live in peace and justice and righteousness, um, the truth of God, the perfect justice, the perfect love. Mm. Well, yes. kind of coming full circle. <coughs> All of these people, these are attractive people. You, If you have people like this in your home, in your society, your society is going to be doing pretty well. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked last week about a lot of figures around and in the American Revolution, which were willing to really take John fifteen thirteen, no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. When you look at someone like Ehud, he's willing to set aside all of his personal security, you know. Even if you live under the tyranny of Eglon, you know, you can still eat, you can still wake up in the morning. If you're going into the palace to kill the king, you may may well be smote yourself. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. a dangerous thing. You've got to put all those things aside. And he was willing to lay his life down so that his people could have peace. Yes. Now, it, thank, it very much reflects Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think, in a way. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you, I can see that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, when you look at all these people, Lydia, Ananias, uh, Bezalel, that name is it's getting me, y'all. <laughs> and it's one of those names where I see it on paper, and I can spell it. I could write it a hundred times. I can say it in my head a hundred times. But when you actually come to roll it off the tongue, you're like, this is not an English word. <laughs> I do not say Bezalel very often. Said it more today, live on air, than in my entire life combined. <laughs> Bezalel. When you see these people, they're attractive people, and they're good people to model your life after. And when you have people like that, they really build up society as a whole, and they, they help us as a, as a people reflect the image of God. But the world around us doesn't want us to have these aspirations. Instead, it wants us to be made so sensual so sensational that we're just utterly unattractive, we're miserable, we're easy to be manipulated, easy to be led astray, and just cringe when we actually do see things which are good, and that is a work of evil. Mm. Well, we're right at time to wrap things up, so we've got to share our our final thoughts, something completely unrelated, good, interesting things which have happened, things which are just on your mind. And we'll begin with Pastor Mike. What's your final thought for us today? Um Good news and bad news. I come home one evening, and my tire was slashed. That's the bad news. The good news is, though, it wasn't slashed by a human. I took it to the tire shop, and um, evidently my dog had got mad at me and and literally (laughs) slashed my tire with bite marks. Mm -hmm. And uh, the tire guy was telling me, he said, yeah, I've seen this. I've got six positive accounts that uh, it people have witnessed it. I think recently uh, the male lady um, had a tire uh, bit and punctured while delivering the mail. But uh, he said, yeah, you know, it's characteristic and of all that he's seen that evidently my, my dog did not want my wife to leave that day. And and uh, he, he did. He slashed the tire. I mean, punctured it. He, uh, it it's unrepairable. It was a $100 tire I had to replace it. He, he bit the tire. He bit the, the tire the multiple big, times, but it, obviously it, it was punctured. It was slashed. I thought it was somebody slashed it with a knife, <laughs> but no, it, from the trajectory of the teeth going in on the angle, and he, he it all lines up. He said, you know, he said, I can't be 100% sure. He said, but it looks like a dog just uh, bit, <laughs> it, bit it and uh, punctured it. It does happen. The big wolf dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I didn't know Bud had it in him. <laughs> It had to be my dog. I don't know. <laughs> Some random Christie's dog. dog. Yeah. yeah. Christie's dog. It's Christie's dog stuff. now. It's yeah. not your dog. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, Amanda, do you have one? Uh, no, I don't I don't have an interesting story, but when you're talking about, um, well, your car and traveling, I have noticed a lot more people on the road and people are going because things are opened up now. They're going on vacations more. And I want to just take this opportunity, especially in just the ever-growing number of accidents that have happened around my house please everyone if you're traveling be safe be smart take your time it's okay like especially if you're in residential areas just go the speed limit maybe even go a little slow um but just yeah i've just Again, it's been phenomenal how many... I even have my brother. He lives in West Nashville, and he called me. He's like, hey, I just saw that there was an accident on Briley. Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, and then, like, the next day, there was another... Uh, and I'm not talking about fender benders. I'm talking about serious accidents where people have gone uh, in critical condition, had to go to the hospital. So just, like, everyone needs to take a breath, relax, drive safely. I mean, if your dog's puncturing your tires, who knows what other human beings are going to do? So just... Be safe and be careful. You know, on, on the note of car-related calamities, you're not joking about the wrecks because when you were here last Friday, I'm pretty sure I saw the notification on Facebook where a wreck happened right there at Trinity, right at the church. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had a, our four-way stop. It's a four-way stop in a residential area. The speed limit's 30, and people like to blow through that four-way stop or they use that four-way stop as, like, the starting line of the Indy 500. Oh, my. They just, like, hey, and I'm just, call us out. No, but this is what I'm saying. This is like, okay, this is where like we have to understand what Papel did and maybe not repeat it. Is Papel made his own speed strips when people were going crazy on his road. And I'm about there. And I, I know I just said that online. So please, like, police, I'm being I'll funny. I'll let you borrow Buddy for a Yeah, <laughs> to get sick Buddy on some tires. But we, we have just, it, it's crazy. We need to be careful. We need to be safe. Thankfully, at least in that accident, the, the older gentleman that was involved in that accident did have to go to the hospital, but we think he, he's okay. Um, and 
but we just y'all just need to relax breathe in breathe out there's no reason your life is not worth getting to wherever you're going five minutes faster just oh but yeah and obey and i know i'm a hypocrite because i I like to do the california roll and stop at four-way stop sometimes but we need to be more careful yeah (laughs) well continuing our car related stuff i don't have any dogs biting tires open or anything like that but we at the church, we've been doing a lot of service projects where we just just do little stuff that's volunteering for the sake of it. We've been having a really good time. Had a really good crew of of people here at Jolton help me with that. Um, well, I guess I'm almost helping them with it. They're organizing a lot of the stuff. Well, we've been cleaning up the road a lot lately. We've gone all the directions around the church, and and I've got to the point where it's a little bit obsessive for me. Like we were out cleaning, and we go all the way up some of the roads around here, and as we were done with this. This Tuesday, I saw some new trash, like after we had just cleaned up this road, like it was there. Like they threw it out while we were just 100 yards away cleaning up trash. They threw it out on us. Hey, and hey, then, hey, hey, don't turn into a hood on us on there. Then I know, I know I've done told y'all. I'm over here. I'm, I'm looking at St. Michael. Hey, and I'm throwing it out. I, I'm picking up what St. Michael's laying down there in Revelation. And then when I come to church Wednesday, there's like some beer cans thrown out at the other side of the road the other direction of the church and then i come by today and th- last night thursday night and i see some milk cans out there too or like milk bottles and i'm like they're throwing out trash i mean I, i'm getting a little I'm obsessive coming. over it <laughs> yeah the, the preacher's getting a little obsessive over the trash and it, it's actually really fun to go out and pick up the trash as strange as that sounds i've i've hit like a strange age in life where it requires enough stimulation that i can enjoy the task of put, picking it up and putting it in the bag but it doesn't require a lot of thought. You can talk to people, and you can just kind of have a fun social outing with it. But, you know, I think it does reach back to our program where you're talking about, you know, appreciating the beauty of God's creation. Uh, you know, getting the trash out of the way, it, it does help Kinda, yeah. the whole, you know, community, community look better. Yeah. 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 So trying, to, trying to have nice things around here. Yeah. People throwing out, which I know. I know what people throw out. There's different items routinely put out at the same spots, and... There's some people who who finish certain hard alcoholic beverages always at the same spot. Mm. And, yeah. Sounds like there may be some drinking and driving going on, too. There is some drinking and driving going on. That's that's the only way this math adds up. Mm. But anyways, we thank you for joining us. And, yeah, being attractive, organizing your life well. The world around us wants you to be depressed, to be manipulated, to be easily manipulated, to be structured in such a way where you're easily led astray. But as a holy people, we need to be attractive in all that we do, and we need to surround ourselves with attractive things. We need to build one another up that we can be the best version of ourselves. And with that, thank you for joining us. God love you, and have a blessed day.